food for Sunday's game. How does bottom feeder bowl strike you? They can't both lose bowl. I like that. Yeah. E- neither rolls off the tongue, though, let's be honest. Could you imagine like a, like a 11 to 11 <laughs> tie or something? On... We'll entertain all such options coming up on Hallis Intrigue. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Jason, the Bears are 0-3. The Broncos are 0-3. They aren't the only two 0-3 teams in the world, but they're the two coming off probably the most embarrassing performances of the season. He lost by a combined 81 points uh, combined last 80, week. Do I have that right? Yes, uh, combined that 80. doesn't even seem possible. No, it does not. Uh, and uh, uh, and somehow the Bears are a three-and-a-half-point underdog. I don't say that because I think the Bears are good. I say that just to show you kind of where we are in the uh, in the activities. It's pretty here. hard. It's hard to be three-and-a-half-point underdog at home yes. against a team that lost by 50 and is winless. The Bears have a lot of trouble uh, going into the game, starting with Justin Fields, uh, extending to a defense that has one sack this season, even though their pressure, their uh, quarterback knockdown numbers have actually been okay. Uh, you've got a defensive backfield that might uh, have what? All of one a regular starter in the lineup. A lot of stuff to worry about. Uh, among those three, what concerns you the most? Well, the secondary, I mean, man. I, I can't pick Pitt. Okay. They're, it's all bad. Because okay. here's the thing is, like, Russell Wilson is not who you remember him to be. Mm-hmm. But, man, he's still plenty good enough to eat you up if you're not pressuring him and you have no corners. Like, right. He, he will make work out of that. Right. Dude, he is one of the reasons, and there are lots of theories as to why he's been just bad, really, the last two years. And one of them is his uh, reluctance to take off and run the way that uh, he did when he was younger. He was really kind of, for a while, the prototypical you know, <clears throat> passing quarterback who could run, not running quarterback who could pass. It, it, do the Bears have to worry about just getting their hands on him? You know, you look at all of the Bears' defensive snaps this season, and one of the takeaways I have is just they can, they can grab a jersey pretty well on defense, but they can't get the quarterback down. Yeah, we've heard that before. I mean, that's they, – they have to come up with something. And Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles promised that they would. This has right. been a question to them since not taking any pass rushers in the draft. Uh, well, how are you going to have a pass rush without pass rushers? And they have promised creative solutions mm-hmm. at every turn, and we haven't seen it. And they don't want to blitz. Matt Eberflus doesn't want to blitz. But I don't see what choice you have. You have to get creative. And this reminds me of – a little bit of Matt Nagy not wanting to bend, not wanting to change off of the uh, scheme and ideas that he had assembled throughout his career, not being willing or able to adapt. Matt Eberflus is in that situation right now. And while this is not a perfect roster, it's good enough. There is enough there to work with on defense when they're healthy that Matt Eberflus has to have an effect. As a defensive-minded coach, there has to be some effect from him. You look at last year, they go 3-14, and 14, I don't blame him for that. I think that anybody would have gone three and fourteen with that roster. That's not true this year. No, this you, year there's a spectrum. Right, and you saw glimpses last year as to what makes this defense go, namely an attention to detail when it comes to punching at the football, trying to get takeaways when you can, uh, and you know the fact that they were last in the league and historically bad in sacks. 
I don't I can't put my finger on whether it was a reflection of the scheme or you know I know it was a reflection of the players but this is a scheme when it's going well that does not blitz that does not get creative this is a shell defense that dares you to put together a 14 play drive to beat it uh, that works when you've got better players. It's just not working. Yeah, well, out. that can't be the defense pet. Yeah. It can't be, well, my defense works great if I have all pros all over the field. Right. Or just, no, I mean, just decent players. Right. I mean, last year. Well, but my defense would work well with good <laughs> players. I could do it. And, it, you know, Kyler Gordon, too, you know, when he got hurt, when he broke his hand in week one, we talked about what a blow that was to the Bears' coverage. But, you know, it was also a blow to their blitzing abilities. He yeah. was the guy that they would bring. He was the extra guy they would bring. We saw him all training camp be really, really good at that. Or, or at least it looked like he was really good at that. Maybe it was like Justin Fields not picking him up. But we saw him get in on a lot of cor- lot of uh, nickel corner blitzes throughout training camp. And I, I remember thinking that going into that Tampa game where Allen Williams wasn't going to be there and Matt Eberflus was going to call the defense. It was a good opportunity to change direction a little bit for Matt Eberflus. And the the best thing he probably could have done would be to use Kyler Gordon as a blitzer, and he didn't have that. Yeah, he, yeah, he was unavailable. Uh, you know, as we sit here on a Thursday, Jason Jalen Johnson isn't practicing, Josh Blackwell isn't practicing, Eddie Jackson isn't practicing, Jaquan Brisker is, um, and Tyreek Stevenson is back from concussion slash neck slash illness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, regardless, you know, we're going to end up with second and third stringers in that backfield. The solution there is get to the passer, but they have one sack in three weeks. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. Roquan Smith has more sacks this year than the entirety of the Chicago Bears, and that one sack was Yannick Ngakwe on a coverage sack against Green Bay. Right. I mean, man, they're just not even close, Patrick. Right. And we talked to Ngakwe yes or on Wednesday, and he said, you know, we're close, we're close, uh-huh. we're getting there. That's just what that's. It's like when Luke Getzey says they're close. They're close forever. I mean, and close, do you know what doesn't count? Being close. Right. Like, if, if you file a story 10 minutes late, it's late, right? It's, if not, I write, it's not going in. If I write a story 100 words short, it's short. There's no such thing as close. And when we're talking about the success of very basic building blocks in the NFL, tackling the person throwing the ball, being able to throw the ball forward in an effective manner. These are things where being close – Saying they're close defeats the purpose of the conversation. Luke Getze today, you mentioned him. Luke Getze on Thursday talked to the media, and he said that they're close. But he also, Patrick, said there were seven or eight plays that were so misexecuted that that they missed massive opportunities against the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. Seven or eight? That's not close. You run 50 plays in a game, 60 plays in a game sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, and— Pat, he was saying sometimes that, coaches come in and say, hey, it was one or two plays that if they got right. seven or eight. Well, and he's saying it, trying to be trying to say, if you if you want to put my interpreter hat on, I hear it as him saying, hey, man, I called a couple of really good plays that exactly. didn't work out, you know, and we can work in practice. And I, I would have had no idea to know that I couldn't call him in a game that the guys would screw it up. That's how I heard it. Too. Well, and we can sit there. I mean, you know, you know, the DJ Moore drop. You know, along the along the right sideline, you know the two uh, 50-50 balls to Chase Claypool that you know had a chance. Uh, you know, those are three of the of the splash plays right there that that he's talking about. I, I don't think if they hit all of them, I mean, if they hit all of them, they still get killed. Like I I don't understand. If they hit the majority of those, you're talking like an extra 20 points though. Okay. And granted, now if KC had played the whole game, they might have scored 70. Right. 
and, and it would have looked like that. But hey, like nobody scores, nobody scores seven. That's a lot, man. <laughs> that's just not just a guy coming in and saying, "Hey, one or two plays we missed would have really changed right. things." Eight plays, up to eight plays. That's a ton. That's 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 a ton. And how does that happen? I think there are. Well, and you ask you, is that just the, somebody said? Well, I assume that's the quarterbacks and the. And the receivers, and he said, "Well, no, it's no." Everybody. Then we go back to the same thing of it's everybody's fault, so it's nobody's fault, and you right. can't f- pinpoint anyone. But well, but there are pl- I mean there are places when Jatari Carter gets just run over, and uh, you know, and the Chiefs blow up a play. I mean, Chris Jones is <laughs> Chris Jones ruined a lot of plays. So I wonder, you know, I'm sure he's sitting there and saying, "Oh, blocking's you know, you know, the blockers aren't exempt from his list of mistakes." I, I, I presume the blocking is half of it, don't you? Yeah, I mean, they're working with a makeshift offensive line. How many of their original five starters do they have right now? Two? Whitehair uh, and Wright? Yeah, and Wright, and Whitehair's not in the position they thought he'd be in. Uh, the literal position they I thought just, Pat, they have not shown this. in the, Justin Fields, in particular, has not shown me something that makes me think, hey, once Tevin Jenkins and Braxton Jones are back, this will all be different. I think the offense will be better. And obviously, that's you know nowhere to go but up, probably. But you know, I, I think they need to run more, and I think they need to run more consistently. And I think that they need to run uh, between the tackles because the way we have watched you know teams defense the Bears through the first three weeks, uh, they sit they sit outside and wait for Justin Fields to run. And you know the way to fix that is you pound them up the middle, and the defensive ends can't crash, and and you give yourself numbers, you give yourself a chance. You know, if you if you got Nate Davis back, Nate Davis practiced on Wednesday. He's getting over uh, the death of a family member. Getsy said he expects him to play. Yeah, he took all the snaps Wednesday. If you've got Nate Davis back, if you have Tevin Jenkins back, if you swap in Cody Whitehair for Lucas Patrick, you know, obviously this can't happen until the Commanders game at the earliest. But I see a formula there where at least they have an okay running attack, and then and and you still need the quarterback to produce. The quarterback's not producing. But I think the run game uh, might give them a little bit reason for hope. For me, that is the fastest way out of this mess is run the ball consistently and then let Justin pick his poison uh, because Justin is a shotgun shotgun 40, you know, uh, on 40 snaps and just drop back and throw. That's not, that's not what he's good at, and you, you can't keep doing that. Now, when you're losing by 30, you have to, and you might as well throw that game plan out. But I think their ideal game plan includes – running and running against the Broncos team that just let two Dolphins running backs do whatever the heck they wanted. I understand the logic of what you're saying, but man, I just don't think that will even work. I mean, more than last year, even the entire league is going to be out to stop the Bears from running. No, they're going to be out to stop Justin from running. I think those are two different ideas. I think they're going to be out to stop their entire, I mean, they, they are the last thing they're worried about is getting beat through the air. Right, but, so everything is concentrated on. But I mean, when we talk about the other teams spying Justin, yeah, that's which yep, is different yep. than, and that's different than having defensive ends not crash. These are two different concepts. But the idea is that uh, they are both sitting there going, "I'm not going to let Justin scramble and beat us." Uh, I, I think a way to to attack that uh, would be to run up the middle. Uh, Denver Broncos. You want to guess how many rushing yards they gave up last week? Well, probably 300 in that game. Keep I mean. going. 400? I mean, no, low, how no, bad did lower. it go? 350 on okay. the nose, an average of 10.2. Every time the Dolphins handed the ball off, they got a first down. But they were More throwing for – they threw for like three or 400 yards too, didn't 376. they? 376. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, that's the thing. Let's talk about Justin. They didn't throw for 99 yards and then happened to also run for 400. Let's talk about Justin. Uh, obviously, he's been the talk of the Bears for you know the three weeks uh, this regular season. Getsy said that Justin had handled himself very well through the uh, – I don't want to put the red E on our podcast, but through a lot of poop that had been uh-huh. going on. Uh, as if the poop was not self-inflicted by the Bears, as if the poop just happened to uh, come in the building uh, on its own. I think it's one thing to praise him for having composure in a bad situation, but I think it's another to present it as something that's not at least part his own making. All these things he's dealing with, Pat. Right. All these things he's dealing with as though they're external. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's straight out of the employee handbook at Hallis Hall. Right. Everything has always been outside their control and happening to them. Mm-hmm. Like Matt Nagy with the six game losing streaks of uh, this is happening to us, you know. What are we gonna do? We're gonna we're really powering through this ad- this adversity, you know, like the the Bears keep going back to this thing of uh, like blaming everything on training camp injuries from Right now almost two months ago right like they they need to stop acting like all these things are not a mess of their own making their rationale has been we would have played justin more in the preseason but his line was hurt and because we didn't play justin in the preseason then it's okay that he's been bad through the first three weeks that's not how this works and in for for uh many reasons one of them being if you're good at coaching and if you have a starting line that's hurt and you go oh my god we can't play justin in the preseason you need to find another way to get them ready. Yeah. This I mean, it's not like it's not like there were some sort of NFL rules that said Justin's not allowed to throw to his receivers unless it's in a game. Like they had ways to prepare him in training camp and in preseason practices uh, to go above and beyond because they knew he wasn't going to play in the game, and they didn't do enough. Obviously, I want to do like a like a pool like they do when a baby's going to be born, and you kind of. Try to pick the date you think the baby's going to be born. I want to do one for what is the latest date we're going to still hear about the training camp injuries. Because I'm thinking like January. <laughs> I'm thinking this comes up at the year-end press conference with Poles and Eberflus. Is there any chance this gets – I'm not going to say fixed because uh, there's too much to fix. But is there a chance this gets markedly better on Sunday to the point to where the, the feeling of free fall – is abated for a little bit. I don't think that there is really much good that can happen for them Sunday. I think if they win, it's basically just pushing pause on this. Now, maybe if they win, like, impressively. Maybe if they win, like, 49-3, to we'll have a different conversation. But if this is some, like, eking out a 16-14 win over the Broncos at home, all it is is, like, just keeping things where they're at right now. All it is is stagnant. And, and yeah, they'd finally have a win, but I don't think you'd be feeling much better about what, anything what because they, of how bad the opponent is. What if they score a lot of points, even if it's a close game? You know, if just if Justin and the Bears score thirty-five points, and even if they win thirty-five, thirty-two, if or I mean, is there a the panic? You know, and I know that the defense is just as bad as the offense right now, and both are reasons for concern. I think your average fan sits there and points to offense being poor as the reason they're so demoralized. If the offense is good, even against a bad team, does that fix – I mean, it doesn't – Not there's, for me, no. If they lose 38-35, like this is still worse. 
This is still on its way down. 38-35, you lose something like that at home to Denver, that's worse than the Chiefs game. What What if you win? If you win and score a lot of points. Yeah, that would be different. Right. That's what I'm saying is if they score a bunch of points, that would be – that would give you a different feel. But if it's anything like one of these just general, nondescript home wins over Denver, you know, close, low scoring, unexciting, or even if it's like, you know, high scoring for the Bears, which would be like 24-21 right. or something like that, I think that's only just pushing pause on – on their 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 just runaway season here because I would need to see it like sustain. Yeah, sure. I would need to see yeah. not just one game where it goes halfway right for them and they are able to beat a really bad team at home. Like I I need to see a couple of weeks of this. But I can hear people you know walking around the house with AirPods on right now screaming, they've lost thirteen in a row. A yeah. just not losing that has to be progress, right? Well, yeah, it'd be progress. It'd be better than losing, but does it? You're always looking for, like, where is this headed? Right. And right. some kind of, like, you know, 20-17 to 17 or 16-14 win over the Broncos wouldn't change anything that I think about where this is headed. A couple of games where you win, mm -hmm. a couple of games where at least one side of the ball looks pretty good mm -hmm. would change my mind about where they're headed. Yeah, I, I think consistent offensive production might change my feelings. The, the bright side here, like the things going well, version of the next few weeks is you play significantly better on at least one side of the ball in the next three games or is it four games against teams that you can handle I think it's right. four games against teams that you can handle and maybe at that point you're sitting there like three and four or something yeah. like that Two and, and, five and you take your shot at the Chargers which is definitely a step up in class for them that game will be interesting because in the Charger Stadium, it'll be 95% Bears fans. Sure, yeah. Provided yeah. They, that they haven't given up. Um, yeah, it's it, – I don't want to say it's a damned if they do, damned if they don't situation because winning is always better than losing. But, you know, I look back to week three last year at Soldier Field. You know, they beat the Texans when Roquan Smith intercepted a pass with two minutes to play and they kicked a field goal. Uh, that was not – I mean, that was a win and they were 2-1. and one. Signaled nothing about where they were. Signaled headed. nothing, and then they haven't. And then they have won one game since. I, I bring this up a lot, but and then they dare to say that Roquan doesn't have production. Roquan literally handed them one of their three wins all year. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So that's. I, I think that there's a scenario where something similar happens this week, where they win a game, everybody feels good, and you know, and maybe there's some value in the locker room here and just at Alice Hall to everybody to just get this losing streak over. Maybe that unlocks something, but you know, short of this offense really moving the football, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what we can learn about Sunday. One of my least favorite things that they say in the NFL is you are what your record is, and I just don't think that that's true. I think that the results don't always tell the whole story about how a team is playing. And if the Bears were sitting here zero and three, having played Green Bay close, having had whatever happens in Tampa, and played the Chiefs to like within ten. Mm -hmm. been decently competitive and still been 0-3, right. you would say, okay, like this could still be headed somewhere. This has not been mm -hmm. just atrocious. And so in the same way, Pat, like the result Sunday isn't going to be the defining um, statement to me on what they are and where they're headed. 16-14, yeah. just because you get a win or something like that, isn't going to me be, oh, a win's a win. It's going to be, mm, that looks kind of like a lot of the same still. I agree with you 
I think that those of us, and we talked about this Sunday, those of us who thought they'd be 7-10 and 10, probably thought they'd be 1-2 and two at this point. And in that sense, they're only kind of a game off the pace. But it's the way they did it. And also a not insignificant detail that their defensive coordinator left in a cloud of mystery. Like that's <laughs> – that is – that brought last week from uh, panic to – Whatever more than panic is. This is like, and, and Matt Eberflus is up there like, well, I here, I, don't worry about it, guys. I'm going to spend 50% of my time with the defense and 50% of my time with the offense and 50% of my time with Justin and yeah. 50% of the time working with the kickers. And like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got way, like, right. you don't have enough time for that. Well, and, and you I can't be offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator right now, I, Matt. I also don't understand why anybody, I, I understand the question about Eberflus having an impact on the offense in terms of the buck stops with him. He's the head coach. This is his butt on the line, big picture. And that you want him involved with their game plan and you want his hands on, you know, the most important thing in the building, which is whether or not Justin Fields is going to be the guy or not. I don't know what value you gain from having Matt Eberflus in an offensive meeting outside of him giving you the defensive perspective. Well, I think there's value in it for him because he'll get fired over the offense not being right. Right. So if I were him, I'd want to have my hand in that. There's a part of me that, you know, he's, you know, he's sitting there saying he's going to keep calling plays and, you know, maybe there's a chance during that mini-buy they have that they bring in and some somebody, you know, to help uh, coach the defense, whether it's just to run meetings or, or to be an advisor or whatever. Man, I'd just use that extra spot on an, off, an extra offensive coach. <laughs> I mean, use it to get some help somehow. Yeah. I, but don't you picture, like, and, and this is going to immediately, everyone's going to kind of um, flinch at this, thinking, like, this is an unfair comparison. But I don't think it is. got to compare yourself against the best. Don't you picture if this was, if New England's having offensive problems or Kansas City is having defensive problems, that those coaches – would step in and take control of that situation, even though it's not their specialty. I don't know about take control, because in theory, your play caller is better at calling plays than the head coach. Yeah, but, you, but what I'm saying by take control is not Matt Eberflus calling offensive plays, right. but telling Luke Getzey how this how this game plan needs to look for Sunday. Yes, yeah, I think that they would be, I think that they would be an outsized presence that week, and you know you hear Eberflus talk about well we all put our heads together. I, that's coach speak. I, I think you would come in and say, Jesus, let's fix this together. I think that's what a healthy yeah. environment is. I, I asked him that yeah. uh, Wednesday if right. he's doing that. Do you remember that exchange? I think you're yeah. kind of referring to that. And his answer was like, let's just say we put our heads together. Right. I kind of interpreted it like I kind of reading between his, you know, the way his tone and body right. language was. I felt like maybe the real answer is that, yeah, I, I'm telling Luke, like, this, this, and this needs to happen now. It's like something that says that gets said in an action movie. Like, let's just say we talk. Yeah, let's just say top men. Right. Top men, Jason. Uh, we're going to uh, our predictions this week. We have a clean sweep for the Broncos. I wonder what the reporters in Denver would think about us all picking the Broncos. We have Rick Morrissey at 1713, Tellender at 1917. Uh, Jason Leisure, I'll get to you in a second. Mark Potash, 24-17. I've got them at 18-17 Broncos just because I wanted to pick a low score. You've got 27-25. Explain yourself. I think that they're not really that different than each other. And in the end, the Bears are going to give up too many points to win. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a path where, you know, somebody punches at a football early. You know, the Bears can run and run and run, and they don't have to play catch-up where uh, where the Bears could win. I just I, 
you and I both in the comments, in the chatter, uh, and in just conversations. Um, until they do it, you can't presume they're going to do it. What If I threw it to you this way, Pat, which of these two quarterbacks could throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns? Yeah. And that would win the game. If one of them did that, that's it. Yeah. I, I think that both of them are equally capable of making catastrophic mistakes. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Bears defense that needs to take the ball away, I think you're spending all week talking about that. Jason, lucky for you and for everybody else, we will break down what comes of the uh, bottom feeder bowl or what'd you say? Somebody's got to win game. They can't both lose. They can't both lose. No, there's no guarantee of a win. But And in fact, the biggest losers will be the people who watch it probably like us. But How about this? I'm sorry, I'm wrapping it up. We're all taking the L. I'm doing the Mark Potash. I, I wrap it up and then I don't wrap it up. If it was a tie, would it be the greatest thing ever? I think it'd be funny, especially if it was like a weird score tie, like eight to eight. I entertained the idea of picking a tie, but then for the rest of the year, my record would uh, it, it would mess with the it would mess with the accounting of the no, thing. wouldn't no, wouldn't. If you predicted a tie, you would you would either get a win would or a loss. Guarantee a loss. That. Maybe I just didn't want to guarantee a loss. I'm I'm three and zero. You would get a win or a loss. If it was a tie, then you would right. Be... But I'm picking the thing that has the point zero five percent chance of happening. Well, yeah, that's on you. Yeah. Maybe if I didn't have a perfect record, Jason, I'd, okay. I'd, I'd do that. Anyway, he's Jason Leisure. Mark Potash uh, is uh, busy working right now, but he's always around. And I'm Patrick Finley. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us on social media. Check us out on the Internet and pick up uh, Sun-Times if you can. We will be back again Sunday to recap everything. See you. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.